speak the charm of make charm of make charm There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. Exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. to the first live podcast recording of the Arnie Mancy podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm Eric Arneson, and this is my guest, Coleman Stevenson. Uh, she's a writer, an artist, and an educator, and she lives in Portland. She's the author of Breakfast, The Accidental Rarification of Pattern Number 5609, and The Dark Exact Tarot Guide. Her writings appeared in a variety of publications, such as Paper Darts, The Seattle Review, The Mid-American Review, on Tarot.com, and the anthology Motionless from the Iron Bridge. She's also the creator of the Dark Exact Tarot, the Vitriolic Tarot, the Personal Oracle, Personal Oracle, and some awesome new Oracle decks that we'll talk about later. I want to thank, before we get started, my brother Nick over there, who's surrounded by all the equipment. You guys should go to nickarnesonmusic.com and uh, buy all of his albums and send him money and stuff. Uh, and then also uh, all the people who helped me, even Austin, even though he was super late, um, <laughs> uh, and Road City Book Club. Thanks for having us. There are programs like flyers. I think they're over by the flowers, and you guys should totally pick one up. And then also there's a clipboard going around with the email list in case you guys want to get notified when this episode is released in the in the non-real world, the electronic world. Um, all right, that's good. Hi, Coleman. Hi. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Thanks for <laughs> wanting to have me on. <laughs> so, uh, so you, how did you first get started with tarot? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, it, I've been doing it for about, well, over 20 years now. Uh-huh. Um, but it was a maybe a later start for me than it is for some people. Um, I was interested in um, things things in this realm uh-huh. when I was young, but tarot was always the one that seemed like you needed to be particularly initiated into it or someone needed to give you a deck, someone needed to teach you how to do it, it needed to be passed down to you in your family, and I didn't have access to anyone who was doing anything related to magic at all. So I would go and just stare at the decks in the esoteric bookshops in my hometown and wish that it was for me, but believe that it wasn't. So it wasn't actually until... um, I came out here to Portland mm-hmm. 20 years ago that I finally found someone who, who? corrected my thinking on that. And but you have, you, was this the, the magical first tarot deck? That- well, so the, the person who informally 
brought me into the tarot world. She read with the Motherpiece tarot deck. Mm-hmm. Is anybody familiar with that? It's the round deck. Well, now there's multiple round decks, but it's the first one. Yeah, that they were the I first know there round was. Deck. Um, which is actually great. I'm glad that that was the first deck that I learned to read on because it. Uh, it really informed the way that I deal with reversals mm-hmm. in in readings. I have a much more holistic way that I approach reading, no matter what way the card is turned. Well, because with the mother piece, you don't really just have a reversal. You've got, like, degrees of reversal. Exactly. And they have a whole system in their guide about, you know, depending on which way it's turning, whether mm-hmm. that is, you know, making the forces stronger or... Or whatnot, but yeah, it just encouraged me to think about it. As every card is a sort of wheel, um, but that so that was not. I didn't own that actually until many, 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 many years later. My first deck that ended up being the magic deck that you're speaking of was the Aquarian Tarot. Oh yeah, uh, I know that one. David uh, David Palladini, mm-hmm. who just died this past year, I think. Oh. But, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty deck. My first tarot deck was the Alice in Wonderland tarot. Which is charming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, all right, so then uh, before or after you got into tarot, you also studied folklore? Uh, Yes. Before? Uh, Before. Okay. How'd that go? Uh, Very well, actually. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I... became a different person after receiving that education. Yeah. It was one of those very eye-opening, you know, complete breaker of all previous patterns of thought (laughs) when you see that everything is the same everywhere and that... uh, That humans just follow predictable patterns all the time? That they do, that they share stories and Uh they share concerns and... It also, for me personally, was the, the final undoing of, not that I ever really had any, but it was the final permission that I needed to just never be, never, never worry about needing to be religious in my life, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just saw, you know, all the holes in everything. Yeah. In a great way. Yeah, the good holes. <laughs> Is that what this podcast episode will now be titled? Absolutely. (laughs) Magic Tarot and Good Holes. It's not that kind of podcast. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about... (laughs) It is now. Uh, uh, I want to talk about your tarot decks. Mm -hmm. So you... uh, So the Dark Exact is your first deck, right? That was the first deck that I made, yes. And it's... um, it's like all black and white. It's kind of this like cool, minimalistic deck. Uh, were you inspired? Like, what inspired the design and stuff of the Dark Exact Tarot? Well, I really wanted to make something that was. I guess universal is a word I would use. More universal. Um, I wanted it to to. I wanted it to be somewhat minimalist. Mm-hmm. I myself. It, like in the, the things in my life, the stuff around me, I'm not very much of a minimalist, but for some reason when it comes to design and art, I tend to be. Um, these cards, what I knew going into it is that there weren't going to be any people in the deck. That was the most important thing to me. Um, 
I, I feel that there are a lot of problems in many popular tarot decks. In that yeah. there, and this this is changing a lot in contemporary tarot design. But historically, there has not really been much inclusion mm -hmm. from deck to deck. People look the same, pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I wanted to just work around. Mm -hmm. So, so it, no it, my calling was not to draw a variety of people instead. My calling was to draw none. None. Makes sense. And then um, the vitriolic tarot, which... Do you have the vitriolic tarot? I, I do. Yeah. I that, so that one is newer, right? When mm -hmm. did you create this one? That one, it came out last year in the first edition and then... Second edition this year has seven added cards, so it started out as a majors only deck, oh, okay. and uh, because it, it so this deck is my attempt to draw some parallels between the fool's journey of the tarot and the alchemical process. Uh -huh. uh, I had not really seen what what I thought to be a satisfying connection between those two okay. cycles uh, and I feel that they they really do follow the same path mm -hmm. so that is the purpose of this deck that's why it is majors only but I did go back in the second edition and add a card for each suit as well as a card for each of the three alchemical principles oh cool okay and so this deck like the design of it is interesting in that you have like sigils for every card like did, that you designed? Yes. Is there a secret behind the sigils? A secret in what sense? I don't know. There's I mean, probably always a secret behind the sigils. <laughs> yes, that's probably right. How, do you, how did you design the sigils? Uh, well, these... My sigil practice is text-based. Uh -huh. so, I mean, I, I do consider myself to be, above all else, a text and image artist. Mm -hmm. That's the best way I can describe how everything that I do comes together in one. Uh, and so I, I always start with word or phrase mm -hmm. written out, condensed, condensed, um, taken down to, to letters, okay. and then formed into a visual from there. So it's pretty, in one sense it's pretty regimented, Okay. And in the other sense, it's pretty intuitive, if it makes sense that it could be both of those things simultaneously. So I was not attempting to arrive at an image of any particular kind. I wasn't trying to portray anything at all, which is fascinating because if you look at some of these, they really do look like what they yeah. What they are Whoa. connected to in the cards. So, like, for instance, the there's one in particular, the um, hierophant. Oh yeah, that's even easy to describe. I'll hold it up. Yeah. Can you guys see this? Probably not. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a rectangle. It's been split into quarters uh, and then split again with a diamond. It looks like a stretched out, um, like old uh, astrological chart. Kind of. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, someone recently said to me, oh, it looks like a door. It also looks like a door. And how perfect that is, because there's also a key on the card. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's often keys in Hierophant cards. Yeah. Um, so that's the icon that I used in this to, wow. to connect to it. So uh, 
absolutely so far from my mind in creating this sigil that even in looking at it over and over and over again, I had never seen the door until someone else pointed it out to me. Oh, so there's probably other stuff like that hidden in there. So basically Certainly. the secrets and the sigils are hidden from you. In part, yes, <laughs> which I think is great. Yeah. <laughs> because it really does confirm, you know, that we always have those questions like, what is intuition? How do we know when we're channeling something? I mean, some people have practices that to, to get themselves into trance states. Um, but I would prefer to just trust that I always have something that is open to it. Mm -hmm. And any time I sit down to work, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in. Right. Uh, and so things like this are proof to me that that is always happening. That's cool. Um, what's your favorite card out of the vitriolic tarot? Like, which one were you the happiest with? That's quite a question. It's kind of like asking like someone your to kid. pick your favorite kid. Yes. <laughs> uh, mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think those are my favorites. I don't know. I really like. I really like that devil card. This devil uh, card looks like how people draw the Capricorn symbol when they first try. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, here. here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a face. Yeah. It's a bit horned. Uh -huh. I thought that was interesting. Again, absolutely. A little bit of a goatee. Not even. intentional. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe my favorite. Sun. Yeah, I like that sun card. Yeah. I like the feeling of solidity and optimism that I get from looking at that sigil. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's a cool deck. Thank you. Uh, you sell all these on your website, right? I do. Okay, cool. It's colemanstevenson.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, you also made the personal oracle. Yes, and that's a that's a connected deck to this one, to the vitriolic tarot. Oh, in what way? So the personal oracle, it came first, and uh, it it is drawn in the style of... Um, antique oracle decks with a very simple style of mm -hmm. illustrations, nothing on the card but the one object, um, line drawing. Mm -hmm. And with that, I just wanted it to be straight to the point because the deck does not come with a guide. It comes with a blank book. A blank book. So you need to spend time with each of the images and digest them oh. and then journal in the book so that you can arrive at your own meanings for oh. the cards in the deck. That's a cool idea. So that's why personal oracle. Because yeah. it's personal for, for everyone has a different guidebook for that deck. Uh, which one of those three decks do you personally use the most? Um, I do use that one quite a lot, actually. Yeah. I really like doing readings with clients mixing tarot and oracle decks. Mm -hmm. um, I like to pull the oracle cards for sort of follow-up or clarifications a lot. So I use the personal oracle a lot in that way. Okay. Um, but it ties into this deck because the major cards here all have a, an icon that comes from the personal oracle. Okay. And this was my way of saying, okay, well, here are some of the meanings that I think 
those symbols uh, have. So that's why the personal oracle came first, and then mm -hmm. this deck came second after you'd worked with the personal oracle. So you kind of like received. Well, that's 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 cool. Yeah, or it's just me being lazy because I don't want to draw anymore. <laughs> it's not. It's not that. It's cool to be lazy. I hope. <laughs> um, okay, and then these ones I, I was really interested in. Um, your fairy tale oracles, mm. like those are pretty new, right? You're just creating those now. Yeah. So two of them are done. Uh -huh. um, I'm working on just a open-ended series of those, and I think. I'll do limited edition sets for each one of them. Uh -huh. And then when those are gone and I have maybe about three amassed, I'll start publishing them in larger decks so people can mix and match. Um, so can you describe one of them? So right now there's uh, one for the story East of the Sun, West of the Moon, uh -huh. uh, which is an old Norwegian tale. If you haven't read it, it's really so lovely. Probably my favorite folk tale ever. And then I uh, just came out with the Little Red Riding Hood Oracle uh, as part of a collaboration with the Creeping Museum. They were doing a big project oh, yeah. on uh, Angela Carter. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, has that, that famous book of uh, retold uh, traditional tales, The Bloody Chamber. Bloody Chamber. And she has, uh, in the Company of Wolves, is her version of Little Red Riding Hood. So I worked with uh, multiple versions of that story um, including old traditional versions uh, that have, for most people, pretty unexpectedly disturbing content, and then some of the Carter stuff worked its way into. Like, for instance, in, I don't know you've ever heard the version of Little Red Riding Hood, older version, where uh, while she's at the grandmother's house with the wolf, who's being the grandmother, mm -hmm. he actually has her drink her grandmother's blood and eat her... And there's this, there's this little cat over in the, yeah. in the cabin who's, like, telling her, like, don't do it, don't do it. So, <laughs> so Little Red Riding Hood cannibalizes her grandmother? Oh. Well, and then does the wolf eat her? Uh, let's see. In that version, I'm trying to remember the ending on that. No, in that one, she tricks him all oh, by okay. herself. Um, she tells him that she needs to go to the bathroom, so he ties her to a tree outside, and she <laughs> unties herself and goes on. <laughs> but Worst that's what, that's what happens with these stories over time, is that they get in different people's hands, and they are manipulated to serve certain ends. So we no longer have a self-sufficient child who is learning how to deal with things in the world. And Instead, you need like a friendly woodsman with an axe. Yeah, or, or just ultimate punishment, like Peralt's version, where they both just get yeah. it done. Uh, so what are some of the cards in the Red Riding Hood, Little Red Riding Hood Well, Oracle? there's a bottle of blood. Because <laughs> <laughs> how could there not be? And there's like a grandma ribeye. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the fireplace, so there's no. a little suggestion. <laughs> Uh, there's the bed. Oh, he has her do a strip tease as well. Really? Yes. Uh, he asks her, he tells her to undress and get in bed, and she takes off each thing and says, what should I do with it? And he says, put it in the fire. You won't need it anymore. <laughs> that wolf has issues. <laughs> well, but it, yeah. if not for the wolf, we could not work out our own issues. It's probably true. Okay, so a bottle of blood, a fireplace. I assume there's a wolf. No, I don't put any. I don't put any figures in those either. Oh, 
Is there like a nightcap or anything? There's a red hood. A red hood. Um, stones for the other version of the story where she and the grandmother uh, trick the wolf, cut him open, fill him up with stones, sew him back up, and like throw him in the river or something. You should read the other versions of the story. It'll make you feel a lot better. You probably don't want to read them to your kids. You should read them to your kids, because you then your kids will your know kids. how to do things. Don't read your children the Peral versions of a fairy tale. All right. So um, you uh, also collect stuff. Like, you have... Far too many tarot decks, probably. <laughs> Is it too many, really? I, I don't know. How many, how many do you have? Oh, I don't really know. I should make a better inventory. Is it more than 100? Yes. Is it more than 200? Probably not. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm okay. Right? How many people in this room have more than 100 tarot decks? Oh, that's a great question. All right, well. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this one right here, who you can barely see. What's your number? Yeah. 300. Amazing. But you're probably around average. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, what else do you like to collect? Uh, well, let's see. For a while, I collected cigar boxes. Yeah? Uh, bird cages. Bird cages? Do you, what about the birds? I had finches at two different times, but I trained them to go out the window and come back so okay. that they didn't have to have the cage. Um, and then a cat ate them. Yeah, boo cats. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but mostly just objects, uh, little bits of detritus, uh-huh. natural objects I find out. So anything that speaks to me when I'm out and about. So I just have... Do you, where do you put everywhere, them? All over. In the cigar boxes? Sometimes. Okay. Um, on shelves, uh, on bookcases, on, basically my entire place is like a cabinet of curiosities. It's just, I feel more comfortable with everything just hmm. like in its right perfect place. Perfect meaning magically perfect. Like yeah. there's a resonance and I know that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, didn't you say something about there was like some dishes that you collected or oh, some I also collect dishes but are they specific types the, yes there's a pattern called blue Danube uh-huh. uh, which is a blue and white pattern is it Delftish and no well I mean maybe a little it, it don't know how to describe it. You know what? We'll have to. I'll have to look it up later. Okay. Okay. Up. All right. So, uh, yeah, I guess we, we we talked before about like uh, the 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 symbolism that you connect that you uh, attach to the objects you collect, which I think you were just sort of talking about. So, how does that work? You like go into some shop. Like, do you allow yourself to go into cargo ever? Or oh yeah, I definitely do. <laughs> Especially when they're having their twenty-five percent off twice yearly sale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I like that place very much. That's a good place for just tiny, strange objects that you're probably going to do something with that is far from the original intention. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I like these lives of objects. I like 
how they change when they go from hand to hand. I think they have a residue of what they were doing before and who they were with. But this is why I like to collect vintage tarot much more than anything else. Oh. And I particularly am a fan of vintage decks that have um, people's handwritten notes in the margins. Do you find that a lot? Um, you, you see it. And what's interesting is that usually in collector's ideas that devalues a deck. Yeah. So that is how I have gotten some prohibitively expensive vintage out-of-print decks for almost nothing because the seller thought that it was ruined. I don't think I've ever written on one of my tarot decks. But I do have some duplicates. Yeah, you should So maybe... All right. I think it's really lovely. And more than anything, it just lets you know that the person really, really cared about Mm -hmm. tarot, but about that particular deck. And I think that that is a kind of energy that just makes it Mm -hmm. sing. I mean, you, you have to... You do have to, to have a resonance with the deck for it to read really well. I have all those decks. I don't read with them all. I read with a very small percentage of them. Have you ever tried to read with uh, somebody's note-covered decks? And what's that like? Uh, it, it, like a, an enhanced conversation? Yeah? Yeah. So if you read for somebody else, it's like there's somebody standing over your shoulder saying, that's not what that says. <laughs> No, it's more like someone saying, oh, and also this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Which I think is great. I'd like to see one of those. Um, I have seen, like, uh, you know, there are people who do fortune-telling with um, just normal playing cards. Yes. And I've seen a lot of those with notes and stuff written on them. Yeah, Especially people who have, like, converted playing card decks into Lenormand decks Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. Um, Do you have, have you collected any of those? I have a couple of those. Are they, do they agree with each other? Um... I always find, well, I find it's difficult reading with any kind of a traditional system that's based off, well, I know it's all based off playing cards, but but based off of um, that style mm-hmm. of playing card-based fortune-telling decks, like Lenormand decks. Yeah. Um, the traditional meanings given to those, I find, don't really correspond well to what the corresponding tarot card would be based right. on that playing card, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. I guess what I'm so, wondering is if you, had, if you had found, like, two different playing card decks oh, oh, that have that notes both, on them, oh. did those people agree with each other about what the different cards meant, or do they just... That I haven't actually that would be investigated to see. before. It would be. It absolutely would be. My that, guess is that they're probably copying it out from, like, an old Lenormand guide. Oh, yeah, that, that could be. But I don't know. Well, I know that, like, with tarot, people have so many different ways of interpreting the cards themselves. You know, people read them in such different ways that, you know, like, for instance, my friend Craig over there, the really tall one. Raise your hand, Craig. I've given him tarot readings before, and he, like, argues with me while I'm giving him the reading. <laughs> He'd be like, no, 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 that's not what that card means. I'm like, Craig, who's giving the reading here? But it's him. He's giving the reading. <laughs> So, because there are different systems, you know, so like, and you see it in the cards themselves, you know, different decks come from different traditions and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. So it'd be interesting to, uh, to compare the notes on the cards to see how out of whack people get, or in whack, I guess. <laughs> or just different. I mean, that's yeah. why I think anyone who picks one guidebook mm-hmm. to learn to read tarot from, and only that one book ever, is making a 
a pretty unfortunate mistake. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because you need to, you just need to know it all. You need to study it all. Why would you limit yourself? Yeah, and also sometimes you don't need to know it all. You know, I mean, like people get so far into tarot stuff sometimes that they'll. There's so much attribution to these cards. True. You know, there's uh, like, for instance, you know, a really common one is uh, the Hebrew letters associated with the major arcana, um, and people get really worked up about some of those attributions. But you don't have to go back very far before you find that nobody agreed on them at all. True. In fact, even Wait in some personal correspondence wrote something about like. I don't believe this. Oh, those guys, Hebrew letter they, shit. there was so much infighting with yeah. all of that. I mean, to the point of reordering the deck and then mm -hmm. reordering it again because he was wrong and all that. I, this is a good segue. Uh-huh. I have a good... So, in the Dark Exact Tarot, there are two fools. Yes. So, you have one fool at the beginning as a zero and then the other fool at the end as a 22, right? Yeah. Or maybe they don't have numbers. Yeah, they do. It, it is. Yeah. Yes. I have them right here. Fool. Oh, yeah, it's 22. <laughs> um, so in, uh, in some of the older, like uh, 19th century tarot stuff, the fool was kind of a card between judgment and the world sometimes. And sometimes it came at the end and of the deck. And sometimes it came at the end of the deck. And I'm wondering, when you went into this uh, and decided to add two fools to the deck, what was your inspiration? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, I can tell you very specifically, actually. I, um, when I lear was learning to read, and so the, the first deck that I got was the Aquarian Tarot, and it came with uh, that book, Psychic Tarot, by Craig Jungulis, uh, I think you say his name. Um, while that deck did not have two fools, he was very, very focused in the writing in the book about uh, the, the cyclical nature of the fool's journey. Uh -huh. And that's been the most interesting thing to me so far about the tarot, is the, those cycles embedded within, the stories within, how cards connect one to the next. Mm -hmm. It pains me when, when, when people focus too much on individual cards and can only see them that way. It, it works best when you see it as a system that you're moving through, I right. think. And so the fact that there was this potential for the fool to be at the beginning and at the end, and as I call it here, he, he called it uh, the fool alpha and omega. Mm -hmm. So when I was designing the deck, I had always read that way. I had always considered whenever the fool came up that it could be either. But it always tortured me each time. You know, you have to rely so heavily on context to know in that moment. Right. Are we talking about the fool at the start of the journey or is this the fool who has already learned things and is sharing that knowledge with other people and preparing to go again mm -hmm. through the cycle? So I thought, well, let's not make people have to figure that out. Let's just separate it and have two cards. I like that approach a lot. I guess uh, even though I knew... I, I mean, I guess I've kind of known that about The Fool. I never would read it as the end of the cycle. So now, uh, I guess I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more hard. Yeah, I realize carefully. that real purists... I've, I've had a, a number of people argue with me, no, the world is the end. That's completion. And that's, that's fine. It can be completion. It can be that. 
achievement of that perfect harmony, but the fool is testing it. The fool is sharing it. The fool, the fool is, is a more practical way of, it's living in that balance, continuing mm -hmm. that balance. It's what you do with what you have completed, the knowledge that you've gained, the enlightenment that you have reached. It's like that point where you're sort of like done studying something and you realize, oh shit, I don't know anything actually. <laughs> yeah. I, that's all wrapped up in it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I like it. And so the, the imagery on the cards, you know, we talked earlier about how they're very minimalistic cards. So you can kind of see here, this is the Alpha Fool and it's a sprout. And then the Omega Fool is like a full on, maybe a sunflower. Is that a sunflower? They are, yeah, and it's that's a sunflower. A, that's a sunflower seed, yeah. seedling. So uh, it's kind of cool. You get the. The whole sunflower, which, you know, is just about to pop all its seeds out and die anyhow. Exactly. And then you have to start again. Um, so then I also, I had a couple other cards that I really liked that I wanted to ask you about. Um, first, the high priestess. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first gave a reading for somebody with your deck, I pulled the high priestess card and they looked at it and they, and they said, what is that lady doing? And I'm like, what lady? What lady? She saw a lady. Wow, in that's the, amazing. But, what um, was the lady doing? I, I don't know. Maybe just seems that maybe that's like her hair or something. Um, but it's a it's a flower. Mm -hmm. Is it the sunflower? It's an amaryllis. An amaryllis. There's a couple of am so this is an amaryllis, and then my um, hermit card is an amaryllis bulb that has finished oh, for the yeah. okay. So the. This, it's really, really abstracted. So for people who can't see it, it's really abstracted. You can't tell at first glance necessarily what it is. Yeah. Um, you can come and look at it later. So the idea there is that that is the capability of a high priestess state. You're able to work with the abstract. You're able to, oh. to be in that other kind of space. So the high priestess doesn't need to see the whole grounded picture to understand what's what's working within it. Okay. I, am I describing that well? I think that um, makes sense. So a lot of these cards have alchemical emblems on them. And is that the symbol for arsenic? Um, yeah, I was going for that kind of dreamy, kind of otherworldly, beyond the veil sort of state for the high priestess. Okay. Um, that intuitive realm, the other kind of knowledge, um, as opposed to the more practical kind of knowledge that yeah. the magician has. Because for me, the high priestess and the magician are one of the pairs of the tarot. Yeah, I can see that. Though I know not everybody sees it like that. <laughs> I frequently pair the fool with the magician. Yeah, and I do that as well. Yeah. That's also a, a pair. I don't, you know, they can... They can have more than one friend. I suppose. <laughs> okay, and then, let's see. I, wanted, I can't remember why I wanted to talk to you about the temperance card. I'm sure I wrote a note. Uh, oh, yeah. I was just wondering if this was the same flower. That, but it's not. It's not, but it is a, it's a trout lily. Okay. So... You know, not completely different in flower shape and leaf shape from an amaryllis. Okay. Certainly not. Um, I, feel, I feel a little unprepared <laughs> for this conversation because I don't know very much about flowers. <laughs> 
Okay, so this next card doesn't have any flowers on it. In fact, uh, it's the devil. Your devil card is like a total departure from the rest of the major arcana because it doesn't have any alchemical symbols. Uh, it doesn't really have the same kind of use of like stark negative space that the other s- cards have. And instead, it's like this... I mean, I think it's it, it kind of feels spooky. It's sort of like spooky in the woods. Um, and I, I've, I've been looking at this card a lot, sort of trying to figure out how it reconciles with my interpretation of the devil, and I'm not sure. I, what I did guess you come up with? I haven't come up with anything yet. I've only had this deck for like a month. <laughs> Could we, can we ask some other people? Yeah, so if you guys can see this card, it's like white trees in the foreground and then a black background. Any thoughts on how that connects to what you typically think of as a, a the devil. devil card experience? It's like What's that? Elspeth. Oh, from Tannis? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not familiar. It's a podcast that, oh. it's like a serial fiction podcast oh. with the mystery and the Elfin is like some sort of strange forest god thing that lives in the woods and oh. is spooky. Creepy, ancient, and evil. Creepy, ancient, and evil. <laughs> Peter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just a, a literal observation is that it seems like all of the trees are dead except for one, so you can't be helped but be drawn to that one tree. Ooh. Sort of like binding yourself to that one thing, but you don't really know why. Oh, I've never thought about that before. I like that a lot. My thinking was definitely connected to what Peter said. That so in in back to the thinking about folk tales and the mm-hmm. function of folk tales. That in so many of those stories, and this this idea that I'm about to state comes from the folklore scholar Bruno Bettelheim, um, who was like a, I guess I should say children's literature scholar who talked a lot about um, folk narrative. But this idea that in those stories you have to go through the woods. You have to go through the danger, and that's how the transformation occurs inside. So, as we know, if we study tarot, so many people, the, the devil comes up, and it's, it's one of those oh-shit cards that you don't want to see. It scares people <laughs> who don't understand. Um, but for as hard as a devil experience can be, it can also be incredibly useful um, even if it takes you to that very, uh, like a rock bottom kind of place, uh, you'll, it can be, it can be fun. <laughs> it can be fun, but typically, I mean, maybe we all, do we all agree that the kind of fun in the devil card is the kind where you, you lose your way pretty quickly, which is why, again, with the, the trees, right? With this, it's just such a solid, t- so maybe when you started into these woods, you were on a path. And you thought you knew where you were going. You could see the path clearly. But then all of a sudden, it becomes completely obscured because the trees thicken. Uh, so that, that was kind of what I was getting at, too, with that idea of, of fun turning into vice, which we often see in the, the devil card. And Yeah, so those were are, those are the ideas that led me to that image. All right, that helps. Okay, That good. makes sense. Does that make sense? It makes sense. <laughs> okay, and then finally, also... Oh yeah, I I, didn't, I don't know if I had any questions about the world card, but I did want to. I I thought I looked at this, 
And I was like, oh, now I understand what she was talking about with the minimalistic designs thing. So the world card is cool. It's got like curly brackets on it. It looks sort of like a smiley that, or an emoticon, a tarot emoticon. <laughs> but see, that's good then, because yeah. if you are reading reversals, it's, well, no, it's, it's always still, smiling. Yeah. Or, or frowning at the same time. Okay. Or it's a ton of mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, I, but I like this card. Like, you know, the classic world card has sort of the four elements being portrayed, yeah. and it's got, like, you know, usually some woman dancing around, and there's, like, a snake eating itself, and there's, there's a ton of symbolism sort of packed into it. Um, and here you have kind of this idea of inclusiveness with the, with the brackets around it, um, around the, and the, and the elements sort of indicating everything. And I looked at it, and I thought that the, it was a card where, the symbolism of the world like jumped out really quickly. Good. I really this might be might be my favorite card in your deck. Maybe not. I have to, but it's up there. That's really interesting to hear. Uh, the brackets it is reinforcing that idea that I was expressing earlier about you know this is a set. Mm -hmm. This is one set. You're going to do it again right. and again and again and again. Yeah, I like that. I like this one a lot. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then judgment I thought was really interesting because you have. So again, there's no um, alchemical symbolism on this, but you have sort of a palm. And I looked at it at first, I was sort of like, is this a palmistry diagram? And you've got these swooping arrows all over the place. This is, there's a lot of detail on this card, so you guys probably can't see it. This is the sort of problem. We should have like one of those overhead projector things where you like slide it in there. Yeah. Oh, like, I missed those. They were really useful, Those were actually. really useful. What yes. happened to it? Uh, like so many other kinds of really useful old technology, they're being replaced by... Awesome new stuff that breaks in five minutes, and then you have to buy a new one, and it never works. It we're never talking works. about we're talking about Apple. We are totally we? talking about yeah. Apple. <laughs> uh, so, can you talk a little bit about the symbolism in the Judgment card and how you came to use um, this swoopy arrow yeah. hand? Um, and it, it is—it's playing off of that idea that you know your life can be seen in the lines of your hand but so with judgment one of the most important things to me beyond the idea of, of it being a, a redemptive card is that it's really finding not just not who you are but your place in the world right it's that type of fit because there okay. are previous cards in the major arcana that are those identity cards so by this point you've been tested a lot and then it's that final thing clicking into place where you know who you are, what you want to do, how you're going to do it, how you need to change your life now of your own accord in order to make all that be possible. So the idea of all those lines connecting out, that's mm -hmm. that idea of, of joining you out into the, the rest of what is going on. All right, I think I get that. It does make me wonder. I mean, now it, this leads me to a new question now. So, the process of making a deck like this, like you have, um, you've rethought a lot of the classic images. You know, so I think it, you know, like in cards like the Judgment and the Devil, where you have like all new sort of symbolism for the for the card, and I'm just sort of wondering, like. What was the process of designing the major arcana? Like, did you do each card one at a time 
Did you did you like write down notes in a book for years before you decided to do it? Like, how did that come about? So many things. I mean, there are illustrations I pulled from um, that had been part of previous projects mm-hmm. um, that when I was putting this together, I realized, like, oh, that's what that was supposed to be all along. I could not restate it better, restate it, redraw it better, whatever. Okay. This has to be part of this card. Um, I, I think I drew the aces first, uh-huh. oddly enough. Um, and then the other things they just kind of happened I really cannot explain it it was um, it was fairly fast and it was really in many ways it felt like it was out of my control I was doing it and it was all coming through me but it was a very channeled experience interesting I you know, it was like a lot of my work. It was intellectualized after the fact, but a lot of these, I I just kind of let let them appear. I just knew. I just knew it has to be this, and I didn't know why, but I didn't question it. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. You cannot question if you have an impulse for an art piece. You can't question it. You can question it later, but don't question it in the moment. Just do it in the moment. I think that's very important for I think that artists. that's got to be important because, I mean, I mean, especially if, like, you're making controversial art or art that really, really, uh, you know, goes away f- or, shit, there's a total word for this, not, departs, <laughs> departs from, like, uh, what people would expect. Like, you have to kind of not question yourself in the moment, right? It's got to be, you just do it and then afterwards you're, like, what have I done? You mean controversial <laughs> in in that it it deviates from like the current trends or yeah, expectations yeah, yeah. of mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, okay, so then what kind of beetle is that on the emperor card? That's a stag beetle. Ah, I like that card too. Well, you obviously like it a lot. You put it on the <laughs> cover of it. <laughs> uh, how long did it take you to design the the this deck? You know, I really don't know. I mean, it, just a matter of months. Really? Because That's... I feel like all the work had already happened over years. Huh. Everything, everything I needed to study, everything I needed to experience, everything I needed to try and fail at, everything that I needed to know about tarot, like it, that had already happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do any of that. It was all just sitting right there, ready to be on the cards. That's amazing. How long ago did you make this deck? This one is, uh, gosh, is it four years old now? Huh. I don't remember. But not too 2015? long 2015? Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's right. Well, that's amazing. I like this deck. I've been reading with it a lot over the past uh, month or so since I got it, and it's... Um, it's eerie. It's it's accurate. It's weird. Sometimes people <laughs> tell me it is brutal. Sometimes it's brutal. But I don't know. I feel like they're just reacting to the fact that it's black. <laughs> you know, it's very well. It's just very stark. It's it heavy. Is, it's it is what heavy I mean and stark. to say. It, it is, is a very visually stark deck. heavy deck. <laughs> it is a very yeah. I don't want that to be misconstrued in any way. It's a very severe looking 
-hmm. set of cards, I think. And so maybe that's part of why people feel it's no nonsense. I'd like to think, actually, I'd like to think that it's more than that. I'd like to think that my intention got into it so heavy. And I'm a pretty no nonsense. Yeah, I'm kind of no nonsense. <laughs> All right. I don't like people. I don't like laziness. I don't like people messing around. I don't like people not doing their homework. I don't like people not reading. I don't like people not finishing The Handmaid's Tale. I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> not the Hulu series. I haven't even watched the okay. Hulu series. <laughs> but I just I think that people should work hard when they want to know things. And I think, you know, like in, in, in readings, people who come to me and want me to just tell them what they want to hear, uh-huh. reading at parties, people you're reading with a friend, you know, they're, they're, they're also reading cards. Someone comes, reads with you, doesn't like it, sits next, next, down next with your, your reading partner and gets a reading from them five minutes later. And of course, you compare notes later and the cards were different, but they said exactly the same thing. <laughs> Every time, but that this kind of stuff, like people should have to work hard, and tarot is a serious thing. Um, tarot is a beautiful thing, and there are many decks out there. I mean, there's the gummy bear tarot. I have that one. There's <laughs> what are some other playful decks? There's a lot of playful decks out mm-hmm. there that are really fun, but when it comes down to it, I think that the the fun or the frivolity in the design should be the thing that makes it more palatable for people to actually get to the ideas that really matter for their lives. And, it, you know, obviously not every deck is going to work. I mean, I told you, you referred to my, what did you call it earlier? My magical tarot? What you? Your first magical tarot deck? Yeah. yeah. That, that Aquarian deck, oh my God, when I got it... It would do nothing. Nothing. And I thought, oh, I just can't read. (laughs) Like, I was so... I thought, I'm just really bound to my book, and I can't... um, I can't memorize, or I can't absorb this right. And um, then I had a total tower moment. I had a... um, I lived in, in the top of a really tall, tall, like, tall building, tall ceiling apartment building in northwest Portland. Uh-huh. And, uh... It feels like a really bad place to have a tower moment. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it was a literal tower <laughs> moment in that it caught on fire... Shit. ...when I was not home. <laughs> and they, like, to, to the classic card, the firemen, they were so worried about the water going down into the other apartments... That they were, they went up there and they were just throwing things out into the parking lot from out the, the fourth floor window, and then dousing it all in the parking lot. Wow! So you can imagine, you know, the classic towers, people falling from it. it wasn't people; it was all my things, including that tarot deck. So um, I came home and there were only two fire trucks out of the like five or six still left. Uh huh. And oh my god, it was. I didn't, it took a bit to realize what was even happening, but when I realized what was happening, yeah, crickets. <laughs> no, there wouldn't have been crickets. It was not summer, but I did, yeah, it was that eerie sound, some ripping sound, and I was like, what is that? And I look up, and I was like, oh, it's really dark up there, but wait, that's my window. And I was like, oh, I don't have a window anymore. And oh. someone is tearing tape to cover it with plastic, and then, of course, went tearing around to the front. Oh. So, needless to say, all of uh, 
the neighbors in the whole building who nobody really knew each other all became fast friends that night. Yeah. Uh, we watched ourselves on the news and drank ourselves silly, really, honestly, so, um, to cope. But anyway, that's not even the point. The did point the tarot is, deck, what happened to the tarot okay, deck? Okay, so what, after many, many, many hours of us just trying to deal with the shock of what had happened um, and the smoldering pile of rubble in the parking lot cooled down enough to touch... Uh-huh. It was probably like dawn breaking. I don't. I don't remember. Maybe we had flashlights. A group of us was like, "Okay, let's just go look at it." So we went out there and just started picking through the charred pile mm-hmm. to see what we could find. We found all my grandmother's rings. Oh. Uh, several other things, and and of of importance. And then my cards. There were my cards. The box completely burned off of the deck and the cards untouched just sitting there so so <laughs> you want to guess what happened the first time i read with those cards after that moment you got the tower no because oh. I, I was reading for somebody else oh, not yeah. for myself but they were so on and so what happened to the deck in the end do you still have it oh yeah oh my god yeah uh, it's wrapped in a. Oop. It's wrapped in a, this piece of a Persian tapestry that also got all charred up. It's the one piece that's left. That's what the cards stay in. Wow. To kind of just honor that that lesson got majorly learned over the six months following. I quit my job. I went to graduate. Back well, I was in graduate school, but I went full time graduate school. My whole life completely changed. All my friends, everything changed. Wow. Like if that had not happened, I would not be sitting here right now. I mean, we can say that that's true of anything that happens to us, even micro things, I think. Mm-hmm. But really, that changed my life in the classic Tower way. Like, I could not get out of the things that were happening to me that were not good for me. Relationships, job, all of the things I was doing that were just taking me further and further away from what I needed to be doing. And the Tower just, it fixed it. But then those cards were like fire every time after that. Like fr- yeah. it frightened me at first. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, I would be in a reading with someone and, and there, we'd have a question and I would just say like, oh, it's what you really need is this. And then just on a whim, I'd flip the next card and it would be that card. It just... That sounds like a hell of a magical tarot deck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about the pips, the minor arcana. Okay. How, so do you, so you, you kind of just uh, made pip cards. Sort of. Sort of. Pip There's cards. some exciting ones in there that are a little different and a little weird, uh, which, I, which I like. Um, do you ever have plans? So, so when, you, when you're approaching a tarot deck, do you prefer tarot decks that are that are uh, just like pip card style, or do you want them to have like a whole art minor arcana style stuff? Like, which, what do you like? Well, you know, obviously I learned to read on decks that had fully illustrated scenes mm-hmm. throughout the deck, but some of my favorite ones, just as a collector, are pip style decks. Yeah. Um, I don't know I if really that's the technical term, I just preference. say that. That is, is it? yeah, certainly. All right. um, or, you know, like maybe some people would say that they're like Marseille style decks or... Uh-huh. Um, but that means more than just the fact that it's pip cards. So, uh, I, I like both. 
I don't need the scenes at this point to mm -hmm. to read the cards because I know them yeah. at this point on a different level. Yeah. Um, but I will admit, uh, for better or for worse, that sometimes what I see in my head when I look at a pip card is maybe the Smith Weight version or you know, from the Aquarian deck or some other deck mm -hmm. that does have a full scene. So um, I know it's very, very useful to people, especially people when they're first learning tarot, to have more information. Um, so that's why mine is a hybrid. So I don't know if you noticed, but you could look at, like, a Smithwaite or the Aquarian tarot mm -hmm. scenes, and some of my cards are those scenes, just with every extraneous... Maybe it's not extraneous. Yeah. For, the, I, for this style, I, they're, it's well, just taken out. So with, it's not pip in the classic sense mm -hmm. in that it's not just a symmetrical, ev even placement of the suit symbol across the field of the card. They are more illustrated than that. They're more expressive than that. Yeah, and you can, you can see that. And it's uh, like sometimes, I mean, the five of cups, that's the one I wanted to pull out. Like yeah. that's, I think, the most... One of the most obvious pip cards where the placement of the cups or the position of the cups uh, talks about the meaning of the card yes. so clearly. Um, where, you know, you have, like, the three spilled cups and the two upright cups. Uh, and I've seen that in a lot of pip decks, which I, and I think that's kind of cool. That's sort of a, a neat nod to the, the rider weight symbolism. Um, yeah, that's... Okay, I like that. So uh, would you ever do a fully illustrated deck? or? Oh, yeah, quite possibly. Again, there are not going to be any people in it. That's cool. Objects. Well, I mean, How you know, we we're talking about. Oh, hey, actually, I need to tell you, there are plenty of cat tarot decks out there. I know, I know. And most of them are wearing clothes. Are there ever enough? <laughs> so, like, it's covered. Huh. Oh. 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 Bad. Pun. It's okay. We can Sorry. fix that in post. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sure, I would. I just. Um, I don't know, it's like we were saying before uh, about collecting things and objects. Objects are just really important to me. And I think that they communicate, they just communicate so clearly. Obviously, each of us is going to have a specific association with whatever object, common object it is. But it just feels more accessible to me. I don't know. I think if I'm going to draw another deck, and honestly, I think I'm in the process of drawing another actual tarot at the moment. Um, but I think it's going to be way, way abstract. Oh, yeah. I saw you posted a picture of uh, something just recently. Yeah. Was it a judgment card? It was a world card. A world card. For a, a tarot show that actually uh, my friend Greg who's here is also in the show in, um, Fort, is it Fort Collins? Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, the... Um, Wolverine Studio, what are they called? I don't want to get that wrong. Hmm? What? Farms. Wolverine Farms. Wolverine Farms. It's a letter, like letterpress printmaking studio. Oh, okay. Um, they have a gallery, and they're doing a tarot show in October, and we got some work accepted for that. So that's the piece that I made for that. And it just made me realize that the, so the direction that my fine artwork has taken in the last couple of years, um, I think... I need to pull it into a deck. So it will be fully illustrated, but not in that way. 
it'll be really abstract, which I hope people will put up with. I think that with. sounds cool. Maybe I should just make it Major Arcana again so that... Just do two of each Major Arcana. <laughs> what would that be? I don't know. You got two fools. Why not two magicians? <laughs> that would not be it. Would that be a tarot anymore? Greg and I actually were talking. We had a huge debate earlier about... what. <laughs> Actually, maybe that, that could be the concept somehow, like the way you read with it, that, uh, I don't know. There might be something in that, actually. But maybe. we were talking earlier today about what makes a tarot a tarot, because there are so many experiments going on with that right now. Mm -hmm. There's so many people who are attempting to solve the problem of inclusion and exclusion in tarot deck design, so many people who are trying to make these decks that are um, stripping out the, the problems that many people agree are there now with you know, issues of, of gender and hierarchy. So we were just talking a lot about um, how far can you go with that and still say that what you have created is a tarot. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the issues with gender and hierarchy in the tarot that we have now, since so much of it has descended from like Golden Dawn stuff, comes out of like 19th century Victorian occultism. And those dudes are fucked up. Yeah, and, and much, much. <laughs> they probably had a lot of cats. They had a ton of. <laughs> it's possible. Yes. It's possible. <laughs> I was scratched by a cat as a like child. Like once? Just once? Yeah, so I, I, was, I had a little black-eyed Susan that I'd picked in the yard at my grandmother's house, and the neighbor cat was over in the driveway. Now, hold on a second. And Is I that was, a flower? Yeah. Okay. And But I, of course, being a small child, uh -huh. had picked it really short, but thought that that would be fine to dangle over a cat, and the cat, of course scratch me, though all it was doing was trying to, you know, play with the flower exactly as I, this is probably some kind of terrible metaphor for, I like, the like... way I do everything wrong in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like one cat scratch shouldn't be enough to turn you off of cats forever. What's that expression? Uh, burn, burn me once. <laughs> Shame on you. Burn me twice. Shame on me. No cats. Cats don't feel shame. What? No, me, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, hey, Nick, are we set up to do uh, questions from the audience? Cool. Do you want to do questions from the audience? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any questions? Oh, hold on. we got to wait. There's a, there, is that the one with the switch on it? If the question Check. is, what's your favorite type of cat? Um, Check. Check. Oh, I've got an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, you can answer. <laughs> okay. All right. Who, you have a question? Uh, I don't know. It will. Right, right here. Your vitriolic tarot came with sense. Um, so is that to what is that about? Yeah, sure. So, did I lose? No, it's still there. Okay. I'm not used to having one of these on. It depends on which version. So, that, my deck uh, was made, yes, okay. My deck was made um, last year, but this year, when the second edition came out, I collaborated with a good friend of mine here in town. She has an apothecary called Primrose Organics Apothecary, and she, uh, we, we, 
have a class that we have taught a couple of times together um, here and in Seattle. Actually, we're going to do a version of it down in L.A. in uh, November as well. But she made oils that are um, devised based on uh, planetary correspondences uh, to go along with the stages, the alchemical stages that are outlined in my deck. So you have the box set, which is a special edition uh, that has both the cards and the oils. Um, it talks about it a little bit in the booklet. Uh, totally open to people using it in their ritual practices however they like. Um, but some ideas that we had about that is that if you're really studying a particular stage and you want to focus more on that, then you would wear the corresponding oil. If you are transitioning into the next stage in your journey and you want to aid that leap to the next place, maybe hasten it a little bit, you could encourage yourself to move on by wearing the, the next oil, all, all sorts of applications for those. Um, yeah, so we, we're pretty much out of the special edition sets, but... Um, she still has the oils she's making for anybody who already has the cards. You can get them, and yeah, they're wonderful. Cool, thanks. Oh, look, back there. Hi, yeah, I was wondering more about your personal practice. You had talked about kind of reaching the state of nada or like automatic drawing in a way, and I was just wondering if there's anything that you prepped to get there beforehand. Anything that I prepped? Oh, like yourself or... Just any any kind of mood, you know? Yeah. Ton, tons of drugs or something? You know, I'm, exactly I think I'm the last person on the face of the earth, it feels, sometimes, who doesn't actually use that to shift my states. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been attempting over the past few years to... I don't know how to put it. I, I have a hard time. Words mean a lot to me. And so I have a hard time labeling anything too specifically. Anytime I use a word, I'm like, oh, but that's going to be misconstrued. So even when I say channeling, I, I have a hard time with these words. But for lack of a better one, um, trying to always keep some kind of channel open. And I think it's easier for me to do that than for some people because it has never come to me as any kind of like a visitation it isn't a hard thing on me. It isn't a constant demand of, you know, like some people will tell you they experience literal voices or, um, you know, apparitions of some sort or these guides that just won't leave them alone. And it, it, it can be a really, really awful experience for them, really difficult. So they have to really have these great boundaries and they have to open the channel then they have to close it up so what I've been trying to do since I'm I'm lucky enough to receive but not everything uh, just try to shift more into that which is is challenging it's hard on relationships like that's the impact that it has <laughs> is that I it has I don't want to say it's been the end of friendships but I spend a lot of time alone. I love being alone. Um, I don't live with other people well because of it. Uh, it's hard to explain to somebody else that 
It's not, I don't want to say like, oh, I've got one foot beyond the veil all the time. It isn't, it's not like that. It's more integrated thing than that. Um, and because I think, maybe, maybe this is how I get away with it. Because I use it to read cards and I use it to make art. And so because it has such a purity of access, or, or not of access, of, of result, of outcome, mm -hmm. maybe that has something to do with why I'm, I'm not bothered by things. Um, but I also maybe would be bothered if I had a more conventional life because I do spend a lot of time alone and I do spend a lot of time paying attention to whatever is coming in. So I don't, I'm, I'm very rarely in a position to tell it no. Makes sense. That's a really nice way to put it. So hold space for it so it doesn't have to demand it. Yeah, that's great. It does feel like that. And that is what changed in my life, is creating the space for that. I have dedicated everything to it and have never felt better for that. Knock on wood. <laughs> nice. Anybody else have a question? That's John Ethan. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. Um, so with the essential oils, you're describing a kind of sympathetic magic using some kind of correspondence between the cards and the oils, which I guess we could call that like an extracurricular tarot activity. You know, you're outside of the realm of spreads into more magical applications. Yes. Do you have any other exercises that you like to do along those lines? So, I, despite everything I just said, I, ritual is an important part of my life. And to clarify, too, so the oils that came in the box set with the vitriolic tarot, I did not um, compose those. Those were made by Felicia Howe of uh, Primrose Apothecary here in Portland. I also make oil blends that are based on um, elementals and tarot characters, um, but they are, I blend more of those based on scent. Um, I also make spell oils for anointing, candle dressing, things like that. I make ritual kits. Um, I do ritual consultations with people to help them design personal rituals. And that is a huge part of my life. I, mean, I think that that is part of this cabinet of curiosity mm. notion for the space in which I live, which is also why I like to live alone, because I need a very intentional environment that is set up in a certain way, which almost makes it like... Not totally, but like performing a ritual all the time, or at any moment, can shift into. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. I could do it more, but, but maybe not. I mean, studio space is sacred for me. Kitchen, cooking space is sacred for me. Uh, probably the only thing that I shortchange is the bedroom because I wish I didn't have to sleep. So I could probably do better in that room, too, and then I'd probably be healthier. <laughs> Next on the list. There's time enough for sleep five in more the grave. What? Yes. There's time enough for sleep in the grave. So they tell you. But I also don't want to die, or when I do die, I don't want to be in a grave. And I want to roam. I want to 
I want to be a ghost so bad. <laughs> a busy, busy ghost. <laughs> I'm sure that can be arranged somehow. There's got to be some way to do that. Like, uh, All right, next question. Oh, yeah, here. Did that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> I'm just wondering how you approach the design of the card backs on the deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, what is the vacuum? Oh, yeah. So that has changed a little over time. The first edition of this deck, so it's now in a fourth edition, which is a miniature edition, but the first one had my logo just repeated in a small pattern. And then the second edition had, is that correct? Had just two rows. These are all the ace symbols, the suit symbols. Um, and then the third edition had four rows of those, and the current one has this smaller, I think. I believe that's right. I... It's amazing how you lose track of what you do when you are just really excited about what you're doing next. <laughs> Which is one of the, the, the constantly open, ch- is, is that the list is massive. And, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it's Craig. Uh, when you read for yourself, um, do you have to work hard to fight past your own personal bias? <laughs> so, I definitely do a lot of the things that I fuss at other people about doing, which is, you know, I've, so I have a... Who has a tarot app? I can't be the only one who's succumbed to the technology. I, the only Ooh, thing I do on this app people? is I pull a card a day on it mm-hmm. um, as part of my trying to just get myself out of bed routine. Um, and most of the time it's like, ugh, psh, just, <laughs> yeah. Um, in full... Disclosure here, I don't do big readings for myself very often. Uh, I do a lot of one-card check-ins, maybe three cards, and um, I always, always, always challenge any of those, I don't want to see this, or I know, I, I, any, anything I think I know, I force myself to go back to it and run through all the possible scenarios exactly like I would do with a client. Which is tedious, but... Do you ever draw a card for yourself in the morning and you look at it and you're like, this just isn't going to happen, and then you just... (laughs) Conveniently forget what it was by the end of the day? Or you just just ignore it and you're like, that's that's bullshit, I'm not going to do that today? (laughs) Um... No, because I have a hard I just have a hard time ignoring anything that seems like it, it it really is a message and because I do have that terrible like you know, I'm the sort of person that like if I accidentally drop my gum out of my mouth I'll go back and pick it up and off the sidewalk and find a trash can. Okay, okay. To, no, no <laughs> not and put it back in my mouth. If it sits on the rim of my cup, it can go back in my mouth. Okay, all right. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. What was her name in Willy Wonka that stuck up behind her ear? Which one was that? Was that Veruca Salt? I don't need that. Okay, cool. Because it is salty, oddly enough, once it has... Ew. So you've tried? No, but skin is salty. (laughs) 
No, that's cool. What's that? Deductive reasoning? What yeah, that? I think that's is that it. That? Yeah. Science. That is science. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Any more questions out there in the audience? Okay. Do you want to tell people where... Uh, oh, oh wait. We have another question. I actually really like answering questions. Good. Hi. Good. So I know nothing about tarot, but I noticed that your deck is black and white. And I was wondering if that was, I, I'm sure it was conscientious choice, but sort of like the reasoning behind that. And then if there are colors that speak to you, what they would be. Yeah. Oh, I like that question so much because color is coming into my work now in a major way. Um, the decision to do the all black background, I think it was because of it was a few things. I like that. I like how it looks. I like how severe it looks. I like how much the images pop from it. Um, and I knew since I was going to do something that was pretty pared down that it needed to have weight in another way visually. So that was a solution to that. Also, I had almost nothing to work with when I did this deck, but I really am the sort of person who cannot be slowed down by that. So I will do a somewhat crappier version of something rather than not do it at all because I don't have fancy design software at the time or whatnot. So the first version of this deck, I don't want to say it was crappy for the people who had the first edition. I don't think it was crappy. It looked like this, but it just wasn't as crisp because they weren't vector images because I didn't have a design program that could handle that. You know, these were hand-drawn, scan-in, slightly manipulated images, and I did the best that I could because I didn't have money, and I didn't, I didn't have resources that I needed to make it pristine. But I don't think that should ever stop anybody. I know there are people who would disagree with me, but, I mean, my business is called the dark exact for a reason. Like, I appreciate exactness, but I will never give it to you. I will give you... <laughs> well, wait, that's not totally true. When it comes to language, so my work as a poet is very exact, but my visual work, like, I... It just is... It's going to have to be how it comes out. So part of that, the decision to not have color, I think, was probably informed by the fact that I wanted it to look the best it could with the resources that I had to work with. So, And then later, a friend of mine who is an awesome graphic designer vectorized the whole deck for me. So now it's ship shape, but yeah, I should never let that stop you. But color, every color, all colors. I'm really motivated by color combinations, particular color combinations, color stories. Um, so like this deck, the vitriolic deck, is entirely full of color, but it is full of color for symbolic reasons, uh, systemic, systemat, systematized um, color symbolism in that classically there are certain designations of color to the alchemical stages and those appear in this. And then the sigil colors are colored based on just common associations with certain colors and ideas, feelings. Um, but in my visual art practice, like fine art practice, uh, ev everything has moved from black work into all kinds of color. And uh, I'm really, really motivated by how colors interact. Um, 
the sort of mood that achieves or the tension that achieves, the, the vibration that comes from certain colors being set together. Love it. Love it. Thanks for asking that. Uh, real simply, what do you see as the future of divination technology or uh, cards specifically or other, other tools? Well, uh, I think that's an interesting question. I can answer that directly in, in one sense beyond just using a tarot app on my phone. Um, I've done some freelance work for tarot.com. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that website. Um, I have, I've done articles for them in the past, but more recently I've actually written the content uh, designed the spreads and written the content for a couple of readings that you can do on their website. So it's like taking that idea of the tarot app to this whole other level. Like you can do full spreads. And it seems like, it seemed to me, I'll speak from personal experience, it seemed to me when I first encountered that, that there is no way that that could be real. There is no way that that could work. And then when they contacted me about working on something for them, I, I realized that I should probably get over some of this aversion that I have to, to technology as a, a tool for things that I know in hand, more tangible realms. Um, because working with it, testing things out, the readings were amazing. And I, so I, I guess... What I'm trying to say is that it's, a, it's some kind of a collaboration that has to happen. I think that people have to still always be involved. Someone has to write that content. That has to come from a real place. Uh, a computer can pull that for you. Um, but like, okay, so a drawback to the readings, the way that they'd always had them, is that it couldn't be synthesized. You could have your cards pulled, and then someone, a tarot professional, had written beautiful meanings for the cards in the particular positional context for the spread, right? So pretty high level of realness in that. But then the computer couldn't say, okay, well, these are the three cards, so here's how all of those work off of each other. But they let me write that, a reading that does that, hmm. which, of course, was months and months and months and months and months of writing. Because that, do you know how many, I mean, we, we restricted it to major arcana only. Do you know how many, that was like, 476 combinations, and that's only a two-card spread. So that, but that's the thing. You, the human element, I don't know, for me, that has to be there, or the trust isn't there. Because technically, yes, technology can work with tarot. It can do the same randomization that a shuffling of a deck can. If you believe that you are infusing the cards with energy and that's how the information applies to you, then technically if you're touching your device, I mean, that's electricity. That should be doing it too, right? So we're good there. But I don't know. I, I feel beyond that, the content has to come from a human place. I don't know. What do you think? You asked that question. I want to know what you had in mind for that. Well, I, I Hold on. Talking to the microphone. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> some people are focusing more on, on randomization. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sort of at a loss. Uh, technology specifically, I agree that it's uh, with the people who um, stay away from the apps and things. It's To me, it feels like you have to have your hands on it. Uh, I, I think my question was, or gear, do, do you see other systems coming into play more um, other than... Uh, other than cards? P- cards, pendulums, or? yeah, but like anything new coming into play. Hmm. Connected to technology? Connected to divination. Oh, I thought you said the word technology. Yeah, I did. I, I meant, yeah, techniques. Oh, I totally answered the wrong question for you. Okay. Well, in that case, what I see maybe happening, and I can just based on base this on what I, I'm interested in personally... I'm looking more in the way that designers often do backwards to go forwards, which is what else has been done in the past with divination that can be reinterpreted in the contemporary context. Um, That interests me personally. So what would you like to see? Anybody? Anybody? What should we do next with this? Disruption generator. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you can read anything. You can read anything. If you just decide ahead of time, you can do anything. You figure out your system. You can throw anything across anything and read it where it lands. You, so, can, read, you can read clouds. You can read clouds. What's that called? Um, I don't know. Let's call it Cloudomancy. It has a name. But that's the thing. They all have a name. It's all been done. Like, the, all the, the Mancies. Yeah, all the Mancies. Are endless. They are. <laughs> <laughs> the future is... Another question. Anybody? Hey, Coleman. Hey. Um... Well, first of all, I, in answer to that last question, um, reading the flight paths of birds Ooh. is something oh, yeah. that the Romans used to do. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some really cool, actually, technology, uh, technological applications of that recently. Oh, good. So we can combine both of yeah. both the question yeah, I think so. misheard and the real question <laughs> into one answer. Gotcha. I've yeah. got you covered. Um, my my. Uh, real, like my bigger question, I guess, is um, you had mentioned that uh, it's really hard to think of the things that you've done when you're passionate about the thing that you're currently doing. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, working on the next fairy tale oracle for the series. Um, uh, I just hung a new show. Um, working on, apparently, now, since I said it on Instagram this morning, a new deck. (laughs) Um, Possibly a couple of really cool collaborations in the works with a couple of friends. One, a previous collaborator, and um, one, a new collaborator. But it's so new, I I can't say what that is, but they're definitely, definitely on the list. Um... And also, I am extremely long overdue. Uh, so people really pushed me early in my education to be a purist. 
you know. I've, I've always been interested in both visual arts and writing, and it was always a tear. And everyone was, be on our team, be on this team, must decide, only can take these classes, you only have so many electives, what are you going to do? You know, all throughout my education. It's very disheartening. I mean, we're lucky now, right? I mean, this whole term of text and image artist, it didn't exist in the past, even though, of course, we have had a vast tradition of text and image artists throughout the history of people making things. But it just, it was not this recognizable art form in the contemporary sense. And so for a very long time, I, I, I shoved myself over into the poetry realm, uh, which I'm, I'm not sad that I did. Everything happens the way that it should, I suppose. But um, I now have had switched gears so forcefully in the last number of years that I'm sitting on like a couple manuscripts worth of poems, and I feel irresponsible to them. Uh, but they need to get, you know, formed, ordered, edited, the, the work part, the hard work part. Uh, so I need to do that, just so I feel like I feel a completeness with that. Probably more things, but those come to mind. Uh, springboarding off of that question, uh, how do you not let those next things distract you from what you're doing now? Well, I'm a good multitasker, so I'm never only working on one thing at a time, which I know is not a solution for everybody. I know that's not realistic. Um, so I, I certainly would not suggest that to someone who doesn't work well that way. Um, I... I am a firm believer in, at the very least, like, do a little something for the thing that's next so that it's appeased, and then it lets you finish what else you started. And then also the great thing about that is that you never have one of those dips. So, you know, the most defeating horrible is, is the drought after finishing a creative project if if nothing is on deck, even if something is on deck, if it's not already going, if you're not intimate with it, it oh boy, the, the fall, oh God, it's so hard to start back. It's a depression even sometimes. And so I always, that's why I think I always have this kind of push and pull with all the projects and that works well for me. Yeah. Hello. So, so listening to you talk about um, how you deal with your future projects and how you deal with kind of what's on deck right now, it made me really wonder what a day in your life looks like. Oh, uh, so different than it used to, and thank goodness. It, um, uh, I'm, I am really either lucky enough or foolish enough to not work a job job anymore. Um, I still teach, but I just don't teach full-time at an institution anymore. Um, and so, you know, I, I have class maybe w once or twice a week at the most. And um, I have teaching situations now where I don't have to grade papers or critique anybody's work. 
so it, it get, it's, it's great. So I have that little bit of stability. I think I think more in terms of weeks than days because things are, often I don't know what day it is, which is great and also challenging. Um, <laughs> I guess I have to keep a good calendar. But it, it so that gives you an idea. Like I, don't, I don't really know. My days are fairly flexible. Um, I try to have something in them where I take care of myself like go to the gym, but that doesn't always happen because I care more about the ideas and the making of things than I do about other types of maintenance. Um, many days consist of not leaving my home. Um, that's becoming more and more a thing for me. You should um, get cats. You should get cats. I had cats. They died. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It was a while ago. I know. Sorry about that. That's all right. You did not know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm cool now. I leave the apartment sometimes. <laughs> I do too. Well, I mean, I, you know, maybe I will walk to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I won't eat. Like, that's a, you know, those are the things. Yeah. Um, there, and I will say, unfortunately, because I, I do this kind of unregimented kind of work, because I am very self-motivated, so I can work all day long and, and not spin wheels fairly easily. Um, I do spend some time beating myself up for things, and I wish I would not do that so much. I've been working on that a little bit. So all the things I don't do, like go to the gym or get groceries, like those kind of things, spend time with people who I'm supposed to be spending time with, you know, I sit there and think, I should have done that, I should have done that, I should have done that, um, and then maybe I'll get up and run in place for half an hour and then get back to work, but um, I, I watch a lot of things in the background, it keeps me company, it helps me sustain an all-day work session, um, I think this is actually, back to your question, like one of the reasons why it works for me to do this is because I work on multiple things within a day. Like rarely am I sitting there doing one project all day long. I'm going to get a lot of different things progressed. So that that tends to be the case. Yes? Hopefully I won't get lost in a multi-part question, but... So I'm kind of a brain science nerd, and I'm guessing that maybe, to what extent in your education did you encounter, like, how do human organisms and sensory experience, the science of that, how much of that is in there somewhere? Because you talked about your process being relatively intuitive. Are you thoughtfully aware of being thoughtful about colors, how people respond to them, and what you're creating, or does it just all get thrown into the more kind of immediate process that you described? So usually, to that last part, usually it is that I have an impulse to something that I then examine. So I test it to make sure it's right. Ooh, I shouldn't use that word because, I mean, if there really is a something that is telling me things, I don't want to make it upset by using a word like I'm testing it. That is not what I mean. But, like, it's a layering. So it's the impulse or the channeled information, whatever it is just coming to me, like what I, I think I know needs to be. 
So I make a lot of notes first, and then it's the intellectual process of saying, okay, well, does that make sense? Why does that make sense? What's happening here that is going to make that work? Um, I do a lot of, like with colors especially, I do a lot of color tests um, to see how they're working, to see what the correct position is. So like, for instance, that world card that I posted this morning mm -hmm. for the, the art show that's coming up, that was from a dream. I dreamed that image, at least in part. Those, the, there's these four colored spheres. And I didn't dream it as the world card, but when I woke up, I recorded those colors in the places that they were and then realized probably later that day, the next day, oh, that's the world card and that's for that show. But I did, I used the colors that were in the dream, but they were not in the same position as they were in the dream. So there's flexibility in it that's based on my training, um, which started very early. You know, I was going to um, art classes as a, you know, elementary school child outside of school, like community education classes for drawing and stuff because of not because of having a deeper interest than what was available in school, like doing, you know, what, like blind contour drawing as a, I don't know what year old, seven year old, I don't, I don't know, young. Does that? Yeah, so there's a lot of training in there, but it gets blended in with your process. Yeah, and so maybe somebody could argue that it's just my training that I know all these principles and they're just bubbling up and that's what these messages are. But I swear that is not what it feels like. It feels very often like it's just, it's from somewhere else. Because I, it takes a while to explain it to myself. I'm not a religious person. You probably gathered that early. Um, I do not have a particular belief system that, you know, a, an existing belief system. And I think I have kind of a, an aversion to that from various life experiences. Um, so I think that I have had a hesitation to say oh, it's this or it's that. I figured it out. I don't know. I mean, the best that I can say is that I do believe in some kind of universal unifying energy that is moving through all things and making up all things. Um, so maybe I lean more towards like that surrealist idea of, you know, grabbing from some sort of collective unconsciousness or um, pool of information that's made up of all thoughts from everywhere all the time and um, obviously I mean some of it is personal psychology but it it does feel like it is beyond that it is more of an ex a receiving type experience which is not the same as when I know intellectually oh that's because when I was for a cat scratched me, and now I'm afraid of everyone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? 
where's Tara? What Wait, she doesn't have the she doesn't have the microphone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Pressure. Thank you. Um, I have very specific beliefs that are specific to my experience and like the nature of infinity and um, repetition and contrast and like it's it's a much longer explanation. <laughs> But I also think that that interpretation has to be highly personal because it's informed by experience, which is inherently unique. And that inherent uniqueness is part of the purpose of being. I think what's implied in what you're saying and what I, what I feel is true, too, is that there needs to be a certain amount of adaptability mm -hmm. within that, which I think is part of why I can't get down with any kind of organized religion and never have been able to be because change is just so much a part of life. And I know that, that one of the things that religions of the world have contributed that is very helpful is recognition of patterns in things. I appreciate that very much and can learn from that a lot. But I don't do good with fixed systems. Do you think your um, hesitation to define it is useful in um, remaining open to it or, or having a, a more pure um, reception of whatever is coming to you? I definitely think so because whatever it is that's coming in doesn't have to be any particular thing. It doesn't have to be associated with any particular thing. It doesn't have to connect to any kind of system. And I find connection all the time. You know, that's how every visual arts series that I make doesn't start out as a series. It develops itself as such because ideas are clearly connected. Um, but only within that set. So what you, you reference alchemy a lot. What drew you to the structure of alchemy? Uh, I, think, I think because I saw the tarot in it, and I knew the tarot first, um, it, it just it was the fool's journey to me. It was just so familiar. Um, and it was very familiar. So my first book of poems is really heavily rooted in alchemical progressions. Um, and a lot of that comes from that fire experience that I had with my apartment. Um, and, and that's what brought me into, I mean, the calcination, right? And what, what comes from destruction. So pretty, pretty personal, I guess. Same as what you're saying. It all, it all connects because of what we actually experience. Which, that's good. I would rather that, right? That draw me to a system than someone telling me just because I was raised in a certain family in a certain place, that that's what I have to believe. I'd rather find it. But even then, I don't want to have to stay. <laughs> uh, all right, we got, let's do one more question, and then we'll... I'm curious, first of all, what year did the tower thing happen in? Uh, that was, um, it was, I know, it's weird, I always think of it in terms of 9-11, because it was just a little bit before that, because I always, I, I have a hard time with time, yeah. and I have to visualize myself in a space in order to know when it was, 
and I can see myself in that building in in the apartment I lived in afterwards when 9-11 happened. So it was sometime between, yeah, it must have been 2000, 99, 2000, I think. Uh, that no, it was, just, it just, it's interesting because there's like a correlation between like, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was Fight Club and when the apartment, ex- he explodes his own apartment, <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk is from Portland, you know, I thought... I think, Go down that rabbit hole a little bit, you know? <laughs> I've never been in a physical fight. I almost was once, speaking of Fight Club. But it being in, like, an existential crisis more Oh, than yeah. More. <laughs> um, well, we could probably say. <laughs> what year did that film come out? I think, like, or, like about the same time. Yeah. Oh, man. That makes me feel old. Let's not talk about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, can you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. Um, I do have ColemanStevenson.com, which is just kind of a catch-all website that talks about all the different things that I do in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's a page on there for The Dark Exact. Um, and that has, like, events and workshops and things like that that are coming up listed on it, too. Um, Instagram is the best way, because I just always am posting whatever is happening on Instagram, which is just at Dark Exact. Um, I have an Etsy shop as well that can be linked to from all of those things. And then you do have some events coming up, right? Like you've got the thing in Colorado and... Yeah, so that art show in Colorado in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a thing in L.A.? Yeah, so um, Felicia and I are teaching a version of our distillation class, which is working with the vitriolic tarot. And we're going to do some... She's going to actually walk people through, so do some guided meditations with the oils, which I think will be really interesting. Um, normally, she sets up the still, and we distill a hydrosol during the class, which is fascinating, but... Then, you know, taking all that equipment down to L.A. is going to be a little... I don't know what would happen on the airplane. Yeah. Uh, when they let us on the airplane, I don't... Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. So we're going to do a, a modified version of it. But, um, and then... Oh, I want to plug something that's not my work. Can I do that? I guess. When is this coming out? It probably won't uh, be in time. It'll come out the first week of October. Yep. Oh, too late. Ugh. Never mind. You can tell these people. Oh, yeah, I can tell these people. Right. (laughs) Y'all are real. Okay. Uh, Next weekend, uh, up in Seattle, um, anybody familiar with Mortlaking Company or Ouroboros Press? Yes. Amazing. Amazing, amazing um, antiquarian bookshop, occult bookshop, and occult publisher. Um, So they have the Texts and Traditions Colloquium. It's the 21st and 22nd. I'm going to go up for that just amazing, like, the lineup of speakers, just lectures all day for two days straight. I feel like really all, the, good. all the people who are listening to this the first week of October are going to be, feel so really generous. sad now. Yeah. But then they can, go, they can go next year. Yeah. And they really must go at some point. Because yeah. it, I, I only got to go one day last year, and the... Within the first hour, had committed myself to whatever it took. I would go the entire time the next year. So I'm very excited that that is next weekend. Um, Me too. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you. And thank you guys. Thanks for, everybody for hey. being here. <laughs> Live taping. 
Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy Podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com, where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.